as a believer, you're automatically drafted into heaven's army. But don't worry, you'll be on the winning side without even being called into battle. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah reveals the role of heaven's army in the battle of Armageddon, where the Lord's victory has already been declared. Here's David to introduce the conclusion of his message, Arming for Armageddon. And thank you so much for joining us today. We are grateful for the opportunity to come into your home, into your heart, maybe into your car, and share with you uh, this uh, continuing series called Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. I have in front of me the study guide for this series, the third study guide, if you will, because there's three of them. Um, This is a three-month series, and the third study guide has all of the notes and outlines for the things we're currently teaching. You can find out all about that at davidjeremiah.org. I won't take any more time um, because you can do that. You can just go there and read all about what we have available to help you during the series. What I do want to do is share with you another note from the Ukraine, a note that came from some people who for the very first time, we're able to watch Turning Point on television in the Ukrainian language. Here's what we received from Ukraine. I hear the bombs going off, windows shaking and screams from the neighbors in my apartment building. We're too old to flee and don't have any place to go. God is our strength. I will not fear. I know where I'm going, so if I die, I meet my Savior that much sooner. I take courage in the Lord by listening and watching his word on TBN Ukraine, filling my heart with faith. I like Dr. Jeremiah, how he unfolds the Bible. These programs are such a breath of fresh air. I tell all my neighbors to watch them, and sometimes they come together in our apartment to watch and talk about them. We need God in this country. It's a pretty interesting thing to visualize a group of uh, people under the pressure of the war, gathering in an apartment, huddled together, watching Turning Point on television and being encouraged by the Word of God. That's the result of what happens because we all have gotten together to promote the worldwide distribution of the Word of God. And it's working even where it shouldn't be. And God is at work in the hearts of people in this war-torn land. Continue to pray for them and for the ministry of Turning Point to the many people who have a chance to watch during this time of great despair and discouragement. Well, today we're going to finish up what we started yesterday as we conclude our discussion of arming for Armageddon. Uh, This is from uh, chapter 16 of the book of Revelation. Also, the 11th chapter of Daniel is involved here. So, Get your Bible, get your notebook. If you have a study guide, good to have that with you, too. And let's finish up our discussion of arming for Armageddon. The Bible says that at the beginning of the period we know as the tribulation, the seven years that come right after the rapture, as soon as the church of Jesus Christ has been taken up with the Lord Jesus to heaven, Immediately after that, a period of tribulation begins on this earth called the seven years of tribulation. We talked about a war that's going to take place in the future called the War of Gog and Magog. Remember that? And the Bible says that that war is going to take place at a time when Israel is at peace, when she is no longer engaged with conflict against her neighbors. There has never been such a time, nor is today such a time. But there will be such a time in the future. 
Immediately after the rapture, we are told that the Antichrist and the European coalition will make a covenant with Israel for seven years. They will come to Israel, who is overwhelmed with the pressure on them from the Syrians and from the Iranians and from all of the nations that are around them. And they will say, enter into a covenant with us and we will protect you. We will guarantee your safety. We will protect you. And Israel will be so desperate for peace that they will sign this covenant with the Antichrist for seven years. And there will be a period of time at the beginning of the tribulation when Israel will be at peace. The Bible describes it as a time when they are living in unwalled villages. They will have laid aside their armament for a while to concentrate on building the wealth of their nation. And during that period of time, this battle called the Battle of Gog and Magog will take place when all of the nations will come together in order to destroy Israel. And you remember what happened when that took place, God Almighty got involved and through the convulsions of the earth and the confusion of the troops and the contagion of disease and the calamities from the sky. All of the enemies of Israel were destroyed. And the aftermath of the war was of such a nature that it took seven months for them to bury the dead and seven years according to the scripture, to burn the weapons. That's the battle of Gog and Magog. It is not the battle of Armageddon. And if you're not careful when you read the scripture, you'll get them confused. In fact, I read an article in which someone has taken these two wars and contrasted them. Just listen to it and you will see how different these two battles are. In the battle of Gog, at least five nations are involved. But in the battle of Armageddon, all the nations of the whole world are involved. In the battle of Gog, the invaders will be led from the north. But in the battle of Armageddon, the invaders come from the north, the south, the east, and the west. In the battle of Gog, the purpose of the armies is to take a spoil and to take a prey. But in the battle of Armageddon, the purpose is to annihilate the Jews and to fight against Christ and his armies as they return to this earth. In the battle of Gog, God defeats the northern invaders with the convulsions of the earth and confusion of the troops and contagion of disease and calamities from the sky. But in the battle of Armageddon, the armies are defeated by the word of Christ. In the battle of Gog, the enemies will fall upon the mountains of Israel and on the open field. In the battle of Armageddon, the slain will be so numerous that they will come from one end of the earth to the other. In the battle of Gog, the dead will be buried. In the battle of Armageddon, the dead will not be buried, but totally consumed by the birds. In the battle of Gog, the war will continue with other nations involved during the remainder of the tribulation. But after the battle of Armageddon, the swords and spears will be beaten into plowshares and pruning hooks. And the Bible says, and men shall study war no more. There's a vast difference between what happens at the beginning of the tribulation in the first three and a half years. And this battle that takes place clear at the end of the tribulation known as the battle of Armageddon. Now we've looked at the preparation for the battle. We've examined the place of it. We've seen some of the perspective of it. Now let's talk about the battle itself. How does this happen? And I'm going to take you through the major thrusts of this war so you can get a glimpse of how this is all going to happen in the future. And there's so much more. I mean, I could preach on this for the next three weeks and I would never get it all covered. So I've chosen the major movements in this battle. Here's how it happens. First of all, there's a deal made between Israel and the Antichrist. We've talked about that already. Daniel 9:27 says, And he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Now, if you're a prophecy student, you know that this is not a week of days, but it's a week of years. One week is seven years. 
the Antichrist from the European Union will sign a covenant with Israel guaranteeing peace and security. And on the heels of this covenant, this self-appointed world ruler will begin to strengthen his role in the world. He will use signs and wonders. And as we already learned, there will be a day when it will appear as if he has been shot in the head and has come back from the dead. And through all of this miraculous thing that's happening to the Antichrist, he will begin to arrogate to himself the power that he desires. Daniel eleven thirty six says, The king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god and shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods. In Daniel's prophecy, he describes the Antichrist and he informs us of his insidious methods. He says, He shall regard neither god of his fathers nor the desire of women, nor regard any god, for he shall exalt himself above them all. And in their place he shall honor a God of fortresses and a God which his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver and precious stones and pleasant things. He shall not act against the strongest fortress with a foreign God, which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory. Now this tells us that the only God this world ruler really recognizes is what the Bible calls the God of fortresses, which means the God of his own strength, the God of his own might. And through his own power, which he's gathered to himself through this covenant and through the inspiration of Satan who is inspiring him, he brings this power together and he uses his might fueled by his wealth, gold, silver, and precious things. He doesn't even acknowledge the God of heaven, but he blasphemes that God and basically says, I can do what I want to do. I am God and you will do what I say. So everything's going all right with the Antichrist from his perspective. He's gotten the power that he wanted. He's got the nations bowing down before him. I mean, they're so desperate for anybody can come and t- tell us what to do, you know. Even today, we're in that kind of mentality. We're going to do about the oil. What are you going to do about the earth? Is the world going to warm itself to death? I mean, all of this sort of thing. Who's going to give us the answer? He'll stand up and say, I'm your answer. But then he makes a serious mistake. The Bible says that after the deal between Israel and the Antichrist, and he gains power, he begins to demand that everyone worship him. Revelation 13, 15 says, He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Basically what he says is, you not only have to follow me, you have to worship me. And if you don't worship me, you're going to be killed. That's the word that comes from the Antichrist. And when that happens, the people who have been under his authority began to look at each other and say, no, wait a minute, maybe we don't want to do this. And some of the nations decide that they will rebel against the Antichrist's power. In fact, that's the third thing, the decision to fight against the Antichrist. Verse 40 of Daniel 11 says, and at the time of the end of the king of the south shall attack him, attack the Antichrist, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. You wonder, how do all these nations get into the theater of battle in Israel? Here's the first thing that happens. They don't want anyone telling them what to do and then demanding that they have to worship him. Can you imagine some of the other cultures along with the United States who've had some history of some religious background now having this man stand up and say, now from now on you will worship me. And they said, no, we won't. Some of them got together and said, we'll go take this guy out. Who does he think he is? God? Yeah, that's who he thinks he is. So the nations immediately come first to Israel to fight against the Antichrist. That's why they come at the beginning. 
And the Bible says that the king of the south and his armies will come after the Antichrist, followed by some of the armies from the north. And it's important to recognize that Daniel chapter 11 is a prophecy against the Antichrist and his leadership. Daniel's prophecy describes a great army from Africa, including not only Egypt, but other countries of that continent. The army, probably numbering in the millions, will attack the Middle East from the south. And at the same time, other armies from the north will mobilize another powerful military force. And so what happens at the beginning is here's the Antichrist, all puffed up with his power, demanding the worship of the world. And here are the armies of the north and the south coming and saying, we're going to take this guy out. We'll not have him do this to us. And the Antichrist, we don't know how he does this, but he's able somehow to push back and keep these armies from coming and destroying him. And just about the time he's feeling pretty good about the fact that he's held this off, the Bible says there's some disturbing news, and this is what you've got to read. This is what the Bible says. Just at this time, when the Antichrist feels like he's gained the upper hand again, there's some disturbing news from the east. Daniel 11.44 says, But news from the east and the north shall trouble him, and he shall go out with great fury. Now, immediately at this point in time, the Antichrist is going to have the problem that Israel has right now. Do you know what Israel's problem is? She's getting attacked from so many different directions, she doesn't have the resources to fuel a defense, and she doesn't know what to do. Well, this is what's going to happen to the Antichrist. He will be fighting off the north and the south, and then somebody says, hey, wait a minute. You think this is a problem? Let me tell you something. There is one huge army coming at you from the east. And we read about this in Revelation 16. Are you with me? Here it says, And the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. One of the problems always in prophecy has been that we know there's a horde of people coming from the east to Israel, but how do they get there? How do you move that massive number of people into the theater of war in Israel because they can't get there? The Euphrates River is in their way. And I've heard all these stories about how people are going to build bridges and that even now there's construction going on there to build a way across the Euphrates. And then I read this passage and I think, we don't need that. All God has to do is look down at the Euphrates River and go, (laughs) and he dries it up. That's what it says. You say, well, that's kind of ridiculous. No, it's not any more ridiculous than when he did it at the Red Sea in the Jordan. God can do this. And the Bible says that while he dried up the Red Sea and the Jordan so the Israelites could cross over to safety, he's going to dry up the Euphrates so that Israel's enemies can come into the theater where they are. How many? Let me just answer that question. The Bible says in Revelation 9, 16, and the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. People say, come on. My wife even said to me, honey, I'm all with you on the rest of this, but this 200 million man army, I'm having a struggle with it. We have nothing to compare it to, but all you have to do is a little bit of research today. Look at all the armies that are of the east, and you will discover if those armies ever came together in a coalition of armies, they could hit the two million number easily. So just about the time it looks like the world dictator is going to gain control of everything again, here comes 200 million from the east, and he has to divert all of his resources over there, because what is he going to do about that? And at this point, the greatest war in all of history involving hundreds of millions of people will be set in motion and the land of Israel will be the major battleground. And as if this news is not frightening enough, John tells us in Revelation chapter 16 
that the reason all these armies are being gathered into the theater of war in Armageddon is not natural but supernatural. Revelation 16:14 says, "For they are the spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty." Why would these nations come to this theater? Because they're demon-inspired. The Bible says that Satan brings them to the theater. Satan fills them with demons. His purpose is to have so many people come after Israel that Israel will be annihilated. And just at the moment when Israel and Jerusalem are about to be attacked and destroyed from the north and the south and the east, I tell you, when I read what happens next, I want to shout. They forget about another direction. They've been thinking about north and south and east, but they forgot to think about up. And the Bible says that at that moment, at that very moment, when it is absolutely certain that there's no way Anything can save Israel. The descending Lord from the heavens comes. Notice verse 11 of Revelation 19. Now I saw the heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. And his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe... And on his thigh, a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So now the armies of the earth coming after Israel have another problem. No longer do they just have to fight against Israel. Now they have to fight against the Lord and his armies. And I want you to notice what it says here, folks. It says that he comes back to this earth riding on a white horse with the armies of heaven. Did you know heaven has armies? Well, let me just give you some good news today. If you don't know this, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been drafted. (laughs) You have been drafted. Because the Bible says this army is made up of two divisions. Look at the scripture with me. Let's notice the first division of this army. Zechariah 14, 5, Thus the Lord my God will come, and all the saints with you. 1 Thessalonians 3.13, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. 2 Thessalonians 1.10, when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe. Jude verse 14, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. Now get this in perspective. I don't want you to get lost here. How did he get that many saints in heaven? Well, Back over here before the tribulation started, remember we talked about the rapture when Jesus comes back into the heavens and all of his people are caught up together with him and they go back to heaven. The saints get to heaven through the rapture. So now they're in heaven and they're standing ready to come back with the Lord Jesus in the second advent when he comes to judge the world. So the first division of the Lord's army is made up of all the saints. But notice, we're not the only division. The second is his angels. 
Matthew 25, 31 says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory with all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And to give you who are troubled rest when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. We are going to fight in an army with the angels. We're going to get next to the angels and we're going to come to this earth with the Lord Jesus and we are his white-robed army. Are you with me? We're all a part of that. Now, here's the even better news. When you're in the Lord's army, you don't have to fight. That's the truth. I just get this. The Lord comes back with his armies and there's no record of us ever lifting a finger against the enemy. We don't draw swords. We don't shoot any guns. We don't man any tanks. We don't set off any bombs because the Bible says when we come back, the Lord will strike his enemies by the word of his mouth. Out of his mouth comes a sword. And when the Lord comes back to fight against the enemies of this world, he will speak it and it will be done. That's it. So you say, why are we there? Well, I caught that in that verse I read. It said, so that he might be admired by those who believe. We're his spectators. He gets so excited about what he's going to do, he lets all of us come back with him. We're all dressed in white. And we just kind of hover over the earth and watch the Lord do his work. It's amazing. Yom Kippur War began at 2 p.m. on October 6, 1973. It was a surprise attack on Israel from the Arab nations of Egypt and Syria. And once again, they were intent on destroying the Jewish state. They hated the fact that Israel had become a nation. There was overwhelming evidence before this attack of large-scale Arab military preparations. On the morning of October 6, Chief of Staff David Elazar asked the United States to help restrain the Arabs. U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger urged Prime Minister Golda Meir not to issue a preemptive strike, but to trust international guarantees for Israel's security. Golda Meir, in her characteristic upfront manner, retorted, by the time they come to save Israel, there won't be an Israel to save. She was almost right. When international intervention finally arrived calling for ceasefire negotiations, Israel's casualties had mounted to 2,552 dead and over 3,000 wounded. And it would have been a whole lot worse if Israel hadn't realized that if anybody was going to fight for them, they were going to have to fight for themselves. For that reason, Israel has come to rely on their own defenses for their security. That attack is just a foretaste of what Israel can expect in the future, when the worst attack in its history will come and be centered on Jerusalem. And in that day, Israel will not have one single ally, not even any reluctant allies, except one, the only ally they ever needed from the beginning the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. At the right time, Jerusalem's Savior will return. Amen. Well, you know, friends, um, over the years as I've studied the Bible and read about the war that's going to happen at the end of time and how everyone will be gathered in Israel and the Israel and uh, valley and Armageddon will happen. 
I've often wondered why there, why, why at that time. And then recently when I was in Israel, we were flying into Israel, I looked at the map and saw how close Ukraine is to Israel. It's amazing. It's not very far. It's not very far at all. And many of the nations we're reading about now that are engaged in war are, well, they're in the extended basin of Israel. And so it's not surprising when you see geography to realize that one day God will settle it all at Armageddon. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about the return of the king, the second advent from Revelation 19. We'll see you then. Thank you for being a part of this series. The message you just heard originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church, where Dr. David Jeremiah serves as senior pastor. How is God blessing you with this ministry? Write us at Turning Point for God of Canada. P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, After the Rapture, An End Times Guide to Survival, which answers the question, what's next? It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International and New King James versions, available in a variety of attractive cover options. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Signs, right here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash study. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash study. If you're ready to go deeper in your Bible study, Living the 66 Books of the Bible by Dr. David Jeremiah will help. You'll learn how to identify each book's purpose, theme, challenge, verse, and prayer. And it's yours with a donation of any amount to Turning Point this month. And if you give $60 or more, you'll also receive the first volume of this series and a Genesis through Revelation DVD. To learn more, visit davidjeremiah.ca. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. The British author H.G. Wells, best known for his science fiction writing, was familiar with all the most important ideas of human history, which makes his words about the kingdom of God worth noting. He said, The doctrine of the kingdom of heaven, which was the main teaching of Jesus, is certainly one of the most revolutionary doctrines that ever stirred and changed human thought. Well, indeed it was, and still is, 
the idea that God has personally broken into human affairs to make His power, authority, and love known. Jesus was certainly a gentle Savior, but He was also a revolutionary, challenging the status quo. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's Revolution of Love, 166. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.